Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Yakov Smirnov got his big break in America thanks to Mitzi Shore, who not only put up the Soviet immigrant in her home behind the comedy store in 1977, but also gave Yakov's father a full-time job, too. Smirnov himself became a big star during the Reagan years, starring opposite Robin Williams in Moscow on the Hudson, recurring on NBC's hit sitcom Night Court, and getting his own Showtime special and short-lived syndicated sitcom, What a Country! In the 1990s, Smirnov found a new professional home in Branson, Missouri. He still performs in Branson two months a year, when he's not back in L.A. where he's still a comedy store regular, or out on the road with his new Happily Ever Laughter tour. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get to it! So, uh, Yakov Shvirnov, thank you for uh, inviting me to your uh, lovely home. Um, last things first, I, I know uh, this is not a question you're expecting, but I feel uh, a patriotic uh, obligation to ask. Okay. Have you been approached by the special, pro- special prosecutor? Ah, I'm actually, I'm feeling a little bit left out because I'm probably the only Russian who was not investigated by Robert Mueller. Mm. So. Did you have anything to do with Donald Trump becoming president? Uh, I can't say it. I can't. <laughs> Because <laughs> then, then I'll I'll get hurt from the other side, you know. Um, so yeah. Well, you know, it could be one of the longest cons ever. The, the Soviets send you here in the 1970s. Ah, just to <laughs> just to help with. I've the, watched the Americans. I know yeah. how it they works. They lay low. Yeah, lay low. Long. Your cover is a stand-up comedian. Absolutely. Uh, you got close to Reagan. Good, good cover. You yeah, got close to cover. Reagan, yeah. so you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. They're keeping me here, uh, yeah, ready to to do something, yeah. <laughs> like comedy or something. Yeah, yeah. like comedy. Yeah. Um, so actually, I do want to go back in time a little bit first okay. before we talk about what's happening okay. in your life and career now, because you know, not everybody is as old as I am enough to remember what it must have been like to come to the United States yes. in the 1970s from yes. the Soviet Union. Yes. What was your immigration like? Uh, did, did you so, have to wait to come yeah, here? Yeah, you didn't have was, to defect. No, the defection was really only uh, for people who were already on the foreign soil. Mm-hmm. They, could, they could declare that they want to stay. Uh, people who never got out, which was me and my family, mm-hmm. didn't really have that option. And what was happening at that time, uh, Jimmy Carter um, made a deal with the Soviet Union mm-hmm. that he wanted human rights. Brezhnev. Uh, Brezhnev. With Brezhnev, mm-hmm. correct. And uh, they needed food. And so they made a deal. They, they'll get them wheat, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll allow some people who want to get out uh, go. Oh. So basically we were exchanged for some tons of wheat. And uh, every time I see a Wonder Bread truck, I salute, you know, <laughs> and then I wonder. But that was the, the, the thing that helped us to get out. Were you already... Dabbling in comedy? Yeah, 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 yeah. What was, was the comedy scene like 
kind of kind of like uh, um, vaudeville, maybe okay. uh, uh, older jokes, kind of rehashed by right. many people. Certainly, uh, there wasn't the same freedom of speech. To oh talk about no, politics. no, no! They actually they had a department of jokes which was part of Minister of Culture, mm -hmm. and they, you had to submit your material once a year, and you would then get approved uh, to use this material for the rest of the year. And then the, every year you had to submit, get a stamp, and that was your license to, to perform. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing that in 2019 there are probably some comedians who were worried that the United States is headed in that direction that you might have to submit your jokes for the public's approval. Possible, but I also... Except you're sending them to Twitter and not to the government. Right, but, uh, but uh, it's also depending on which side you're looking from. Um, the, the government might be asking for something or the, co the country is heading towards socialism and thinking that this is really good stuff. You know, right. and it's not. And I think the more uh, we have that, um, it it gets to be concerning because I grew up with that, and I know right. I wouldn't want that to happen in the United States. We're not we're far from that. However, um, that the government being uh, giving handouts to people if it's um, it's the policy of the government that makes uh, people last depending on themselves. Yeah. And that's what the Soviet Union was. Uh, very, very few people want to take, uh, they, they didn't have the option. They just followed whatever the, and, and they gave, uh, they had a shot at this with, uh, with uh, Putin or Yeltsin, mm -hmm. and then um, Gorbachev actually started that. They had a shot of free economy, and but um, it didn't really stick because I think they're used to this. They're used to once you get used to being taken care of, even though they're giving you nothing, but they keep brainwashing you that this is what. Um, what the best country on the planet is, right. you believe in it. And that's what we believed in for, you know, many, many years. When you immigrated to the United States, you came ahead of your family or did any family members No, come we with came you? together. This okay. was kind of a, pl a plot or ploy by the Soviet government. Most older people did not want to leave. So they made the law that if a young person wants to leave, they have to take uh. their parents. So most parents were saying, no, uh, we're staying. And then the young person couldn't go. That was their... What was the conversation with your parents like then? My mom was very much against this. But my dad, since I was little, mm -hmm. was uh, definitely campaigning for us to go to America. So when I started working and became a successful comedian there and started working the cruise ships... Uh, where I met a lot of people because otherwise we were totally isolated. We didn't even know what was going on out there. And I got that information that, you know, Jimmy Carter is trying to help people get to get out. That was the opportunity. I came home and I said, Mom, Dad, we need to get out. And Where were those Russian 
uh, Soviet, sorry, so, Soviet yeah. cruise ships going? Uh, well, the ones... That you were uh, performing on. Yeah, they were on the Black Sea, mm -hmm. so they would go from Odessa, where I grew up, to uh, Crimea, and then to Georgia, and then come back, okay. seven days. That was mainly where I was working. Did but you enjoy that period? I, I did. I did like it a lot. Um, what was uh, amazing to me, though, that those ships were also leased a lot to uh, Europeans mm -hmm. or Americans, and so they would be they would go to other countries, uh, but the crew, the top crew, would stay, but the rest of us would have to get off the ship. And they would go to like, and they would come back in this gorgeous-looking outfits, and we would. And it's like what, what? And um, and so I had, yeah. And so it was an interesting opportunity there. Um, uh, what happened? I got uh, an offer to perform in the ship, and I, I guess I did well. They asked me to stay on, and I said, well, I was touring. Uh, with my with the band that I was MC for, and I I said that if I can bring my parents with me on the ship, then maybe I'll go. Okay. And they they said, "Who do you think you are, telling us what you want mm -hmm. here? You are replaceable. Get out of here, basically." Yeah, and your then, last name wasn't Smirnoff yet. No, not yet. <laughs> but it was interesting. They didn't know you were part of the Smirnoff. No, <laughs> no, that wouldn't have helped in there. But what was uh, what was happening is mm -hmm. that um, um, what was happening that the the Soviet, uh, you know, the the I guess what was going on um, is that. They send the messenger. We had no phones at that point, and they send the messenger and brought the um, um, uh, an envelope with two pairs of tickets for two mm -hmm. cabins, same day, saying we're expecting you to be on board by 5 p.m. And it was like, what? What just happened? I never seen anything like it. When they kick you out, they kick you out. And so I asked the cruise director, I said, what, what, what happened? And he said, well, the captain saw you perform on the ship. Mm -hmm. And he said, even if he needs my cabin, you should give it to him because he's making this cruise successful. And it, it was like a light bulb went in my head because they were, those companies leased, they were working for a lot of times for Americans, for Europeans. They knew that if the person is more talented, they should be rewarded. And I never even heard of that, right? Because, again, I'm, I'm going back to socialism direction that we're heading, America, realizing that this, is, this was standard. Nobody was, everybody was the same. And um, it, it, it doesn't, it's not good. So when I heard that, it was like, wow, so in, on the West, if you are more talented, you will be rewarded more. And that's when I said, Mom, Dad, we got to go. This is time to go. Did you have a choice in where you ended up in America? Yeah, it depended on who was sponsoring you. Okay. And, I know, I know yeah. Some countries, when you, when you come 
especially if you're a refugee or you're part of a plan mm-hmm. like that, then they tell you you end up in Minnesota or yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's, they why look, of, that's why there's a big Somali Somalian uh, population uh, in Minnesota, yeah. even though it's not anything like Somalia uh, <laughs> in Minnesota. Exactly, exactly. So, no, in my case, we just were looking for who who can sponsor, mm-hmm. and I had a friend. I still have a friend in New York um, who left. She was our neighbor, okay, and she left a couple of years before. And so she said, well, if you come here, we don't have much, but at least we can say that we, you'll spend with us, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever, which mm-hmm. is what, what happened. So that's why we ended up in New York. But, it, but that wasn't the plan. The plan was to come out here to Los Angeles. No, no. The plan was to come out of there to, uh-huh. from, from Russia it okay. didn't, or Ukraine. It didn't matter where we're going <laughs> as long as it was out of there. How long know? did you spend in New York? About six months, okay. uh, started working in the Catskills uh, uh, as a bar boy. I didn't speak English, so but I really wanted to do comedy. So that was my training ground. I would watch Borspell comedians. Yeah, who was performing there when you? Oh, uh, you know, Freddie Roman would be a good the person. Old yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. That was the roster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Eddie Fisher would be singing and, you know, and telling jokes. So it gave me something I was learning about American show business and then, and then moved to, to LA and got into the comedy store. How long did that take to get your first? Well, it's an interesting, in my opinion, very interesting story because I came here, I was working in New York as a shipping manager for a company was greeting bells and they were making Christmas decorations and I was shipping them out. My English was pretty bad, but I would go to like once in a while to catch a rising star and a comic strip and they would give me like two o'clock in the morning <laughs> spot or whatever. And, um, and then my the boss at the company said, uh, you know, the season is over. There's not much income. So if you want to take an uh, unpaid vacation, and uh, she said, I know somebody in uh, Hollywood that might be helpful to you. And I was dreaming about that, you know. And and it was producer of Three's Company, Ted, okay. Ted, Ted, Ted Bergman, uh, executive producer. And so I figured, hey, once I meet him and he sees my show you'll have a sitcom i'm uh, so my plan was <laughs> this is Trooper's i'm not his best friend <laughs> right right i i i didn't know exactly eagle wait eagle beagle where was it what was it the bar that they went to it the, the yeah so the 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 thing was important that you know i got there mm-hmm. and i needed to perform showcase for him okay he asked for that and so i went to the comedy store and they gave me a you know, potluck, uh, five-minute st- spot. and They still have that potluck. Yeah, yeah. And they, um, and he then left a message that he couldn't make it. So I was really disappointed because I had a plan. I bought a ticket round trip for 10 days, mm-hmm. and my intention was to become a star in 10 days and then come back to New York and buy Fifth Avenue apartment for my parents. <laughs> 
I had a good taste. Yeah. And I heard of overnight success, so I gave it 10 days. I felt <laughs> on the safe side, right? Yeah. So uh, when he didn't come, and it was like day four, I'm like, oh, crap, this is not good. Right. This is not but good. But you still have six days. Yeah, but I was, I even, even as optimistic as I was, I was going, I don't know. And so, um, so I performed anyway and got some laughs and I left kind of head down, walking down sunset and, and this, uh, Mitzi's secretary, Chrissy was her name. And she ran after me, and she goes, congratulations, Mitzi liked you. And I had no idea who Mitzi was, <laughs> right? So she said, go talk to her. Uh-huh. So I go sit next to her in the, uh, in the booth, and she goes, stick around. There is always place for good and different. And I have no idea. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't really because I don't have a job. My parents waiting for me. I got you know, mm-hmm. to gotta go back. And, and she goes, um, um, come back tomorrow. It was like, I think it was Monday night mm-hmm. or, and watch a regular show. So I, I got there. It's day five now. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in the back of the, uh, of the comedy store, a regional room. And, um, and, and on stage, first person goes on is Robin Williams. <laughs> And then followed by Billy Crystal, followed by Jay Leno, followed by David Letterman, and I'm and then finished with Richard Pryor. And I was like sitting there and I'm going, I'm ahead of schedule. I'm actually I'm here. I got I, I was smart enough to know that, mm-hmm. you know. And then I talked to her and she said I said, I still don't know how to leave my parents across the Right. Yeah. And and she goes, what does your dad do? And I said, he's the building construction engineer. I said, well, can, can he do carpentry? I said, maybe. And said, I'll give him a job if he moves here. So she gave him a job and gave me a place to stay. Um, there was a house above the right. comedy store, Crest Hill House. So she did she offer all that on that? On the first on day, yeah. on, on Monday, yeah, on Monday when I was like, mm-hmm. I was already like, I want to stay here, but I don't know how to make so this she work. So offers your dad a job and you a place to stay. Yes, yes. And, and yeah, and my roommate was Andrew Dice Clay. How could I <laughs> resent that, you know? <laughs> Had you seen him perform before you moved in? Uh, yes, I did. But, okay. you know, it's interesting. At those days, he didn't. Uh, he wasn't Andrew the way you know him right. now. He used to do impressions of right, he Jan, did like John, John Travolta. Travolta. Uh, he did uh, Sylvester Stallone, uh, uh, Elvis. Uh, he would come out in that big gear, you know, and, and sing. So, uh, so I I didn't have any problem with that. But uh, did he have any problems with you as a roommate? Actually, we got along great. I was a little intimidated by him because he's big and mm-hmm. and he wanted to put his arm around me and I'm like going, he's wearing leather jacket and I'm going, I don't know, this is a little crazy. But then he, he is my roommate. So we were roommates for three years. How many other people lived in the house with you guys? It, it depends, varied, about 
five overall. Mm-hmm. I think there was five bedrooms, so five people, but they would just kind of shift and change. And but you guys were constant. You and we were there for a long time, yes. Yeah, yeah we were there. And then when I left, there other people moved right. in, yeah. Did you caught up, get caught up in any of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of that house? Um, n- <laughs> not really, no, because I had a job. So I guess so, you must have gotten out before Sam Kennison then. Sam was regular there. <laughs> he was, he was. There's no, and Robin was regular there. Okay. So they would do, uh, the, and... But my routine was I was supposed to be at, I, I started helping my dad mm-hmm. to do carpentry. And so little by little, I took more and more on. So at 8 o'clock in the morning, I was the, uh, supposed to go downstairs and do my work. Well, they would just go to bed at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I would not, I couldn't understand what was happening. I would go downstairs and and there was a big table there, mm-hmm. and there would be a mirror on the on the table, and there was some white powder on it. So I assumed that they were eating donuts, and I would wipe off the mirror. Innocent. Yeah. Oh, but you would wipe it off. I would wipe it oh. off and and hang it on the wall, and then I would tell them. I said, guys, what's up with that? You could use dishes. You know, you could be. I mean, there's dishwasher, why? Mm-hmm. And they would laugh, and nobody was listening to me <laughs> at that point, you know. And so uh, that's, how, that's how I was kind of innocent guy who was in this crazy environment. Yeah. yeah. But then you got big after Robin, but before Sam and Andrew did. Yes. I what, got, what, I, was that, what was that moment like when you're just this innocent Soviet immigrant, and then all of a sudden you're a big star. What was that moment? It, like? I don't know if it was a moment because it kind of it looks overnight, right? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. No, because you started in '77. Yeah, so yeah. It was so it was. Yeah, it was. '84. I got on the Tonight Show, so it took me six years showcasing for Jim McCauley, who was the the booker. Uh, yeah, the booker. And uh, he would tell me, no, no, no. And then eventually he said, you'll get on that show when the hell freezes over. So I started watch, watching Weather Channel, just in case. And, um, and then uh, I gave up. I mean, I, I let it go because my other things were happening. I did commercials. Mm-hmm. I did Miller Lite commercial. That was yeah. the first big one. Carson saw me on that commercial. And told Macaulay to book me on the show. Ah. And I was in North Carolina, and I remember Mitzi calling me and says, guess who called? I go, who, Mitzi? He goes, Macaulay. He wants you on the show right away. I I wanted to tell him to shove it up his ass, but I... Figure it would be a good thing for you to do. You know. I'm, a, I'm appreciating all the Mitzi impersonations. You bet, yeah. No. Can anybody do talk about Mitzi without impersonating her? It's too, yeah. So, so I got on the Tonight Show, and that that kind of confirmed. But at that time, I already made like three movies. One of them was with Robin Williams, Moscow the Hudson. One was with Richard Pryor. Uh, Brewster's Millions, one was with Tom Hanks, Money Pit. I was doing Night Court episodes yeah, on a regular basis. Yeah. yeah, so 
I, I was already, my was, career was going, so there wasn't like overnight mm -hmm. uh, uh, happenings. Uh, uh, but I guess uh, when I was sworn in as an American citizen at the Statue of Liberty ceremonies, which was July 4th, 1986, that made like all the papers and, you know, big, big... Uh, um, of course it uh, is. Yeah. So, so because there was just so much Americana happening at that time, and I, I guess what a country was the slogan, and um, I got confirmed it. Yeah, like that's the ultimate. yeah, yeah. Although, I guess, arguably, probably the an even bigger highlight for you though was working the White House dinner. Yeah. Yeah, Reagan. yeah, yeah. I, I but that was before I was sworn in. Mm -hmm. uh, I I did. I worked. Um, I was getting to perform with the president. Yeah, yeah. Is not something a lot of people can say. That's true. That's true. I've been very lucky, except uh, for this president. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's That's just different. yeah. It's one of those things that you know uh, everybody has their their favorite, and I. Happened to like Reagan a lot, and uh, and uh, what happened when I met him, um, it was kind of a weird thing because I was performing at the Comedy Cafe in Washington D.C. Okay, and this uh, gentleman approached me after the the show, saying, "You know, I am a chief editor of Washington Times." And President Reagan and Nancy Reagan are going to be my guests in my house a couple, like a couple of weeks from now. And I'd like you to join us. And it's only 18 people mm. dinner. And I thought he was a little cuckoo <laughs> because I had no idea what Washington right. Times was. Right. I didn't it's know. not the Post. It's the other paper. But, yeah, but I didn't know. I didn't mm -hmm. know. I was literally, you know, and that was 82 maybe. Okay. And so... Um, and he sent tickets and met me at the airport, and and uh, we're going to to his house, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and we're pulling in there, and he, I don't know if you ever seen when the president anywhere, they they really block everything. I mean, they two helicopters sitting over the neighborhood. Uh, the bar barricades, uh, machine guns, everything, FBI, everywhere. So he pulls up to the barricade, and I said, you know, the, the papers. And and so he gives them, yeah, he says, I'm hosting president. He said, we don't care. You know, we need to you step out of the car. They, they search him. And then they go, okay. And then they, the guy put the flashlight on me. And I'm sitting there in the, in the seat going, oh, this is not good, you know. And the guy looks at me and goes, Miller Light commercial, right? I go, yes. He said, okay, come on in. <laughs> so the beer yeah. gave me the opportunity. And so I met the president there, and we literally, um, from the moment they introduced us, there was a connection. Uh, and so there was two tables, mm -hmm. and... Um, and him and I were on the same table, and it was uh, interesting that that night he sent helicopters, military helicopters, to scare Gaddafi. 
And so behind him mm-hmm. was an, an officer, a Marine, with the football, which is oh, the, the nuclear briefcase, football, right. nuclear um, yeah, yeah. codes. They call it the nuclear football, yeah. Yeah, and they told me mm-hmm. that this is just in case that there is some disturbance, he's capable to launch uh, the attack... And so right we're in front of you. Yeah. He launched a nuclear so attack. We're telling jokes to one another, right? Mm-hmm. For the whole evening. And the guy behind him trying to not to laugh because that's his job, yes. you know. And he is like, you know, cracking up but can't laugh. So, so there was a connection right away. And then after that, you know, I got invited to the White House to perform for the president and the cabinet and, you know, and, and then many times after that, I've been very fortunate to spend time with him and Nancy. And it was a really, uh, did you go to either of their funerals? I went to Nancy's funeral. Yeah. I was in Branson when I was, when his funeral, but she was, she had, she invited, I mean, she wrote, um, the list of everybody she wanted to be there. Yeah. So it was, that's yeah. got to be special to be mm, on the list. Yeah, yeah. When was the, you mentioned Branson. When was the first time you went to Branson? 93. And what was Branson like in 1993? Uh, pretty booming, actually, because 91, uh, um, CBS, uh, the, the, the 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. did the expose in Branson. Okay. And they showed... Uh, Andy Williams at that time, Mel Tillis, Tony Orlando, they were all kind of at that point just new there. Okay. And they asked they ask, um, Mel Tillis, who stutters, right? He, they asked him, how much money do you make in Branson? And he said, millions. And that just open the doors that all the other entertainers like going, well, I want, I want in on this. In my case, it was a little different. I was doing Vegas, Atlantic City, Reno, Tahoe. I wasn't, I didn't even know about Branson, right? I didn't either. Yeah. But 91, Soviet Union collapsed. And David Letterman had a top 10 list of things that will now change. And I made number one on the list. Yakov Smirnov will be out of work. Oh, Six months later, it was not funny at all. And uh, I had two little kids, a huge mortgage. Uh, we lived in Pacific Palisades, two and a half million dollar home. I thought this American dream is wonderful. Yeah. It will never end. This was not good. You didn't blame Letterman, though. Yes, I did uh, for a while. <laughs> but no, no, actually, it turned out to be great. Because um, I, you know, I found, I literally tried, I was looking for a place where mm-hmm. they did not know that the Soviet Union collapsed. So, Branson, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. And they still don't. They still don't know. I'm not telling. So, so that's uh, what... So, when you went there the first time... Yeah. I went there. Were you there as a guest the first time? Mm-hmm. Did you already have a deal in place? I didn't have anything. Okay. I was. It was March of 1993. Mm-hmm. I literally, um, I, I, I just, my agent, he was trying to find me some work, mm-hmm. and Willie Nelson was doing Farm Aid. And so he said, 
you know, if I want to be a guest host, please come. But it was, there was no money. It was just, you know, I said, okay, I'll do it. But, uh, but I said, I don't understand how would farmers know who I am and what I do. And mm-hmm. I had no idea. And, and uh, he introduced me, and I walked on stage, and 40,000 people gave me a standing ovation. And I was like hearing, what a country, what a country. And I was like, wow, wow. So I told him, I said, I don't know anything about farms. You know, I said, the guy played practical joke on me. He let me milk his bull. And I learned something that you milk this animal once, you have a friend for life. He was following me around. So that's all I know about uh-huh. it. So, but I did my routine. And mm-hmm. Willie, between puffs of of pot, yeah. basically, when you walk into his trailer, there was you couldn't even see him. He's like you knew this. it wasn't donuts. <laughs> you knew what it I was. knew that. You I just smelled. Yeah, it smelled. Yeah, I knew that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he said you should go to Branson. He was in Branson at that time, okay. and he said I think they'll get you. I think they'll like you. And I so I decided I just went and to check it out. And I, when I got there, I was blown away. Because it was March, and there were shows that I never heard of people like Soji Tabuchi, who's a violinist there, right? And he would be sold out at 2 o'clock in the afternoon for a matinee on, a, on like a normal day. Mm-hmm. I was like, then I go to Andy Williams' show, pack 2,000 people in the evening. I'm like, where am I? Just somebody pinch me. Right. I didn't know any Williams either at that point. I mean, I, all these people are here and yeah. they're paying to see shows. Then I saw Tony Orlando was mm-hmm. packed. I was like, what? What is this? <laughs> so, and I had no place to go. Right. Literally, I mean, there was no place where I could pay my mortgage or anything like that. And so I decided. I told my wife. Uh, we should give it a try. There's no other options at this point. So we moved there in May, May 22nd of 93. Uh, so March I saw it, mm-hmm. and May we came, rented the small theater, and didn't have much money left after, like, a couple of years of this right. dry, dry spell. Um, and it just was Alva Grease and... You know, uh, grassroots. I didn't have much money for advertising, and we were both working in the theater and selling some merchandise. I mean, it was just like baby steps. But you know, six months later, I was already you know average like a couple hundred people in the show, and then a year later would be like comedy club. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a year later would be like. Five, four, four hundred people. Another year, I I ended up, you know, when I uh, um, I still I have my theater now. It's two thousand seat theater, but I only do two months a year. I used to do four hundred shows a year, crazy. But it was. But if you can sell the tickets, it was coming. Yeah, yeah, it was coming, and I I was really nervous that this this dream is going to end too. You know, so. It's been very, very what good What made for you me. decide then to go back to school? I wanted to get out of Branson. <laughs> uh, uh, well, no, I'm being, I'm being, I, uh, what, 
really what made the yes what made me go was I turned my theater into laboratory of laughter literally it was very fascinating to me that laughter is a commodity that very few people know how to um, create think about this I mean there's a handful of comedians who can literally walk on stage and create laughter right it's a very very small group of people right um, but then I start looking at average person laugh, laughing mm -hmm. and people create laughter a lot with their friends right Best friends, look, a bird flew in. Oh. That's a good sign. <laughs> now it's gone. Yeah, no. Yeah, a bird flew oh, into yeah. your apartment. Yeah. Into your home. Yeah, I like Said that. hello and then flew out. Yeah, I like that. That's better than it getting trapped in here. <laughs> well, I've had those too. I had. But uh, when, yeah, when I go to your your homepage on the internet now, yes. there's a video uh -huh. that plays it where you talk about yes. this, about how you studied yes. laughter. I got my... And the, uh, the, the therapeutic benefits of it. Well, it's even more than that. Yeah. Therapeutic benefits are really not um, arguable. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's going to say, nah, I don't want to laugh. Right. Yeah. And the Bible said, you know, it's uh, the best medicine. And, and we know this for thousands of years. So that's not. But, so what was fascinating to me is how do you create it? Because it, I compare it to fire. When we didn't know as human beings how to create fire, we were thousands of years hitting rocks, praying to, you know, lightning hitting a tree and then fighting wars because somebody had fire and the other person, people didn't. And it was like, it, it was a commodity that once we learn how to create fire, we were able to do that on a consistent basis. You can do it immediately now with the matches or lighter or stuff like that. So I believe, laughter. I believe laughter is the same commodity. And maybe even more, because I believe that, and I figured out the formula uh, over the years studying this over and over. It, took, it came to me that it's really to, to, a, a standard thing is a joke. A joke creates laughter between friends or whatever. And the joke is set up, punchline, laugh. Three elements. That's it, right? If you look at fire... You have fuel, spark, and fire. Three elements, right? The same thing. But what is the fuel and what is the spark? So the spark, in my opinion, is a sense of humor that you were born with and you're going to die with the same. It's like your DNA. This is yours. And you might be compatible with some people and you might be totally going, these people are crazy. You know, yes, I felt all so I ask over four and a half million people in my theater, mm -hmm. would you go on the second date if you didn't have laughter on the first date? Silence, not one, four and a half million. That's a pretty good sample. Yeah. Right. So what I believe happens 
we are testing. It's like catch and release program. We're testing, going, mm-hmm. ah, not, not big enough. Yeah. And what that is, it's a sense of humor. So there are three, I said there are three ingredients. Laughter we all want. Humor we already have. The only ingredient that nobody really pays attention to is meeting each other's needs. We do that in the honeymoon stage of the relationship. We do it sure, because, because we want to get something. Right. We want to impress the other person. Impress so we can get what we want from them, right? And they do the same. And Mother Nature has that as a plan because that means we'll procreate. After that, about a year, the science now proving this, year, year and a half, those hormones that were given to you in the beginning when you fell in love mm-hmm. go away. Mm-hmm. So you no longer know what you, you had amnesia. You don't even know what you did right. right? So that's where majority of divorces are happening. Right. Because, not because we lost the sense of humor. Not because we don't want the laughter. It's because we don't know how to meet the other person's needs. And so one of the jokes that I say that I, after all this research, I came to a shocking conclusion that men and women are different. And I think it's not because of, you know, biological or psychological or neurological differences. I'm talking about what does a woman need is totally different than what a man need. And we don't know what that is. Isn't it a shame that we don't know. So how is that that informed and changed the way you present an 45 minutes to an hour? Two hours. Stage? Two hours. Two hours. So, yeah. well, obviously it's changed that. It's, it's doubled the length of your show from a typical, from no, a typical I, in, show. No, in my theater you need to do two, two hours. Mm-hmm. But all of this is thematic, you know. It's, uh, and it gives people an understanding of what... Um, what I have discovered Mm -hmm. and hopefully transforms their lives because they walk out feeling that they got the information they didn't have before that and laugh their yak off. So I think that's a good combo. Uh, So in the early days, you were in Branson year round? Yeah. And now you're just there two months. Two months. What happens to the theater? Do you, you lease it out for other yeah, shows? Yeah, yeah. There, there were so acrobats, there acrobats of China. Acrobats of yeah, uh, they they cover the you know the expenses and and it gives me a place to come home to. So, you've told me a little bit about how your show is different now than it used to be. How is Branson different now from nineteen ninety three? It grew. But it's also got, it lost um, the star power. So uh, the, the people who were like Andy Williams passed right. away, Tony Orlando moved away. Uh, Mel Tillis comes in like a couple of months so a they're year. they're older, so. Yeah. And, and so the people who are sustaining brands, and there are a lot of talent, great talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Haygoods family, you wouldn't know who they are, but they put on a f- wonderful show. Uh, Six is another show that's wonderful, a cappella singers. Um, there is a show that sells out 
2,200 seats twice or three times a day. It's called Sight and Sound Theater. And basically what it is, it's Bible stories uh, acted out with huge production, like production amazing. So people come from all over the country to go see that show. So so it's still very... Um, very busy. It's mm-hmm. still five to seven million people a year come there, but it's not as star driven as it was. And then the dates you perform around the country, <laughs> do you get a renewed sense of purpose now that you have all of this? Yes, very graduate? much so. I did the. And I, also, you've been through the ups and downs of. Show yes, business. yes. And I did that, uh, the show on PBS uh, called Happily Ever Laughter, mm-hmm. and it was named uh, the best new special on PBS. And I was, you know, I, uh, proud of that because it was basically my theory, gift wrapped in laughter and presented to a national audience. So when I perform, I give them a bland, you know, you get, a little bit of old things mm-hmm. that they are used to. They're, they're, um, and they're looking at my life, uh, going for a divorce, recognizing that laughter was there in the beginning and then it died. And I didn't know why. So I went to University of Pennsylvania, got my master's degree in psychology, then became produ- pro- professor at Missouri State University. I was teaching course on happiness and laughter so it gave me all that academic background and and then now i'm getting my doctor degree at pepperdine i'll be dr yakov on may 18 oh congratulations thank you so it's all happening at the same time because i believe that this information really needs to um needs to come out, you know, somebody needs to expose it because I really believe that the Berlin Wall came down because Reagan and Gorbachev were able to laugh together because laughter connects you on the level that nothing else. It's, a, uh, it's a, a, you know, uh, emotional intelligence, one of the highest levels of that. So there's, if we're screening out things we laugh and not laugh, and that tells me a lot about people who I'm with. And, and so I'm hoping to be able to share this uh, through um, your podcast and many others, hopefully. And, um, you know, uh, whichever way. I know I have a sense of purpose. I know I'm very, um, I feel very alive and just got married uh, last month or month, yeah, yeah. A month and a half ago. Congratulations uh, thank you, too. thank you. So, so I feel like I'm 25 again. Like <laughs> I, I'm graduating college. I'm getting married. You know, um, and I have a mission that I really want to help the world to, to laugh more. Well, thank you, Yakov, and uh, thank you. I, I know we've gone this whole 45 minutes without once uh, using the broken uh, English that's often been attributed <laughs> to you. <laughs> In America, you uh, record podcast. In Russia, podcast records you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yanko. Uh, my it. pleasure.
This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.